Hey friends, it's Jenna Overbaugh here. I'm a licensed professional counselor and I'm here to help you do all the hard things, including busting through your fear, intrusive thoughts, and worry so you can live your best life. Some of my earliest memories were being anxious and I lived my life that way until I learned more about OCD and anxiety. Since then, I learned as much as I could and I've been helping people overcome their fear and worry since 2008. Over the years, I've acquired some of the best education, training, and empowerment tools to help you understand your brain a little bit better and to finally overcome all of that fear that's been holding you back. Now, if you're ready to learn more, let's get to it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome yeah. back, everybody, to a new episode of All the Hard Things. This is going to be an episode that so many of you have specifically requested for me and not, it's not often that I don't have like the perfect resource to send you guys whenever you ask for something. Normally people DM me or comment on my stuff and I'm like, oh yeah, go here, go here, go here. I answer that completely. So many of you have been asking me, I want to send one of your podcast episodes to one of my family members or to a partner because I just want them to understand. And I like don't have the perfect podcast episode to give you guys. So I'm bringing on Nicole Morris. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist and mental health correspondent and OCD advocate and host of the OCD family podcast. I was gracious enough and uh, lucky enough to be on her podcast a little bit ago. <laughs> and I'm bringing her on here today to go over all things family, um, all things loved ones, our intention for this episode is to make this the episode that you, as a person who has OCD or anxiety, that you give to your loved one so that they can walk away with a greater understanding, know how to support you, know maybe what an accommodation is and what to do instead, and all of the things. So, Nicole, how does that sound? I, you know what? I'm here for it. I nerd out talking talking about the fam. So I'm, I'm honored to be here. And thank you so much for uh, having me. Yeah. So I, I know I introduced you a little bit, but yeah, tell us a little bit about um, your background, why you're so passionate about the family work, because I feel like that is super niche. So tell us about where that passion comes from. And then, yeah, we'll talk about some family stuff. Sure thing. Well, I was born at an early age. So we'll, we'll start. I'm no, just kidding. Uh, I mean, I was born at an early age. But what I will say is I have been in the mental health field for, oh, gosh, almost 24 years at this point. And I didn't always treat OCD. And I would say as of uh, about 10 years ago, I started doing more program management, and I did grant management. And I was a supervisor. And so I was still seeing clients. I had private practice too, but our family moved, we relocated and I was chronically pregnant for a couple of years. And so it took some time out of the office to, to uh, have a few babies. And then I really came into the field of treating OCD out of necessity because I, I, I had an idea probably as most people of what OCD is, what it can look like. Uh, but I had never 
treated it. So I knew, right. You know, and so when I had a client that was suffering from symptoms and the family was suffering from just really the hijacking of their loved one by this monstrous OCD, it was so apparent to me that even I couldn't miss it. And so I started learning more about OCD and uh, wanted to get trained uh, initially tried to kind of refer out the client actually, because it just isn't my niche. And you're right. Like we, there are certain things we're going to have specialties in y'all. We don't have to be specialists in everything. And in fact, there's no way we can be. So OCD was not my specialty. Uh, but I remember this was really at the beginning of the pandemic and my client and their family were like, you know what? You're my Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Please do not refer us out. Everybody has a line. I don't care if you know how to treat this or not. And so on one condition, we proceeded forward that we would all be learning about OCD. And that brought me into this world. So it's been really cool getting to understand and know OCD better. And now that I know what it is, I realize I have treated it my entire career. And in fact, I have it. Family members of mine have it, both my family of origin and the family I married into, my son has it. And so it's been really eye-opening and so incredibly helpful. And I can credit the bravery of that client and their family coming in and saying, we need hope. Please, please help us find it. So it's really cool. And I've, I've been honored to be a part of this community ever since. Well, I, I feel like even in, in imagining you going through this like educational transformation or like insight transformation, whatever you want to call it, like as you went from this person who didn't realize that OCD was right in front of you or that it was mm -hmm. even in you to now being able to talk about it, like it's a second language and like you understand it every which way mm -hmm. that's where we eventually want our family members to be right. Like of the people who have OCD and anxiety, we want to be able to take them from this place where maybe they had these preconceived notions about what OCD was, what it wasn't. We need to like mm -hmm. transform all of that, get rid of all the bad misconceptions and like refine and totally elevate their understanding and insight about what OCD actually is. And that's mm -hmm. a journey. And I feel like you're uniquely able to help people with that because you actually went through that journey. Right. Um, yeah. So talk to us about the family piece. Like you know, I literally, I do want this to be the episode that people literally, they have OCD or anxiety and they send this to their family members. So yeah, what are some of the common, just like, uh, like normal family member, right? Like the majority of the family members or loved ones that you work with, what are some of the kind of misunderstandings that you work with or that you see as far as family members go, like just big misconceptions that we need to hammer out right off the gate? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, one of the things that I really like the way you kind of recapped that for me, because you talked about understanding this almost as a second language and, and being able to um, kind of figure out those different pieces and elements to OCD. And the thing is, and for any family members listening, you already know, you already have inside of you the understanding, the viciousness of OCD. We, we may not have the insight in learning about it yet. And we're doing that now and we're taking the time and there is hope available through so many amazing resources. Jenna's resources, you can go to IOCDF, you can go to icbt.online. But what's interesting is just having a little bit of a perspective shift 
and it doesn't have to be a 180 degree shift for for you or your loved ones but a perspective shift in understanding the mechanism understanding the function of ocd and the role it's playing in your relationships uh it has been just game changer and sometimes that psychoeducation alone of understanding what ocd is how it functions is enough interestingly enough i uh started the ocd family podcast uh, a little over a year ago and partly why was i live in the midwest region of the united states now and there are I am like the OCD specialist for 100 miles, okay? And with telehealth, that allows me to still see people. I'm licensed in both the states of Indiana and California. I can see clients in both. But it it's interesting because geographically, you would have to drive a couple of hours, and people have to see me, which is something, uh, to try and act access treatment. And that's really hard. And often, and especially with the kick up from the pandemic, when a lot of places shut down, people lost their insurance, they couldn't afford uh, barely groceries, especially now with how much a box of cereal has inflated, let alone treatment. If anyone was getting treatment, and they were usually sitting on a waiting list, it was what we can call sometimes in the field, the IP, the identified patient, the person who is suffering the most with this. Yes, obviously you need the support. But what I was finding for OCD was that, and I happen to have a spouse of, of a loved one that was suffering from a severe case of OCD. And I I was like, this person is very lucky and privileged to have access to treatment because, again, most people can't even afford for their sufferer, their warrior here to access treatment. But what we find when we zoom out and we look at OCD is we see that OCD thrives in the reinforcement and the continuation of these stories, these narratives, these intrusive thoughts, these obsessional doubts. And so they live in relationship because when we are family members, when we're dating somebody, even if we're just roommates with somebody struggling with OCD, OCD is going to get real bossy, not only to the person that's directly suffering from it, but from everybody in their environment. And if family members are like, I need more information, it's because they're like, ah, I am, I'm, we are like triaging a uh, hard situation to hard situation. And for anyone, the warrior that is dealing with OCD themselves, the family members, the spouse, the partner, uh, the best friend, the chosen family, that is absolutely wreaking havoc and having an effect on the family members. So it's been pretty cool because as I've learned about OCD treatment, I've learned that the power that these loved ones in close relationship, trusted relationships to the sufferers, the reactions they have, the, the avoidance or the ways that they're really meaning well to help their loved one is sometimes 
functioning just as if the person is also compulsing around a certain interest of thought themselves. And so the power of the environment is if we change little little posture shifts, just different insights, some education and practice doing some, you know, a few of these things just just a little bit differently than the way we've been implementing them in the past has a profound effect on treatment. And so I wanted to have a resource where I, and not just treatment, let me say that, like just life, living life, having some freedom uh, from the grip that OCD has on your loved one's brain and on, on your environment. And so when I had this client, I, I love a good podcast. I love listening to audiobooks. I'm always doing something. We're moms, right? Like, so <laughs> we're multitasking. We need to be able to do something while we're doing the dishes or, or running an errand, uh, driving, exercising. And so I wanted to give this client a resource where the family, as, as a spouse, as a loved one, uh, and her children also experiencing what was happening in effect from from OCD just terrorizing their loved person. Uh, I just realized I didn't have a great resource to give them. I can give them amazing OCD podcasts, and and we are really lucky, Jenna, to have so many really gifted and knowledgeable and fierce advocates creating podcasts and different books and great content for folks uh, as well as live streams and, and I know like IOCDF for example does a bunch of lunch and learns they'll do research roundtables they'll do Q&As uh, or spotlights but what's hard is if you're coming at it without having OCD or maybe you have it and you don't you don't recognize it or it's not functioning or interfering with functioning to the degree that it's problematic What's interesting is it's hard to kind of get into the mindset of what's going on for the OCD sufferer. And so, and often people are so exhausted because by the time they're finding these resources, they're like, we have been through the ringer. We have been living in this trench. Uh, and I, I don't even, I, I don't know how to make sense of this. And so I really wanted a resource for this powerful community that may not always be able to access treatment. It certainly isn't treatment or a replacement for treatment, but it gives a lot of support, gives a lot of information and a lot of resources for family members that are going through the thick of it. And so that's, you know, that's one of the reasons why I started OCD Family Podcast. And I love having opportunities to come in and, and share uh, about direct examples. Of, of how this can show up. I try to have an application segment in every show I do so that people aren't just hearing things, but going, okay, but how does that apply to my life again? Because <laughs> again, we're tired, y'all. So we need that direct roadmap, like push this button, right? Like do this. <laughs> we need that help and that guidance because we're exhausted and we're coming in on, you know, on fumes really uh, a lot of times. And so, um, it's it's such a cool thing to know that like just learning and and having some of those insights and just doing something a little differently with the same intention to love and support your family member can have such an amazing impact so so i i love these conversations i'm so glad we're getting to have it for sure yeah so you talked about some of the small like 
I think the concept that you use or the term that you use was like small posture shifts, like almost like yeah. small little adjustments that family members can make. So let's talk first about some of the things that maybe they're doing, like you said, with the best of intentions to try to support their person. But once you know what that actually is, it's probably actually more of what we call an accommodation. So yeah, 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 yeah. Like what an what they're probably doing, right? Like actually identifying why that posture, why those tendencies are bad in the first place. Explain the impact of an uh, the impact of an accommodation. Um, yeah, and then maybe talk about like what those posture shifts, those educational shifts, or whatever it is that you called it, what that would actually look like. Yeah, you know what, and and I will say I don't know, Jenna, if you have. Uh, have done a lot of work in inference-based CBT, ICBT. Uh, but what I will say is the way I think about family accommodation and examples like that are twofold because I tend to think about it, whether I'm looking kind of at the end product of what happens coming downstream really out of our OCD cycle, which is more going to be your traditional exposure and response prevention, which I'm sure you guys chat about all the time on the show. Uh, but I, there's understanding family accommodation from that lens. And then I also approach it from this lens of ICBT. So if you're okay with it, I'd be happy to explain both uh, kind yeah, of snapshot. I'm a fan. So go for it. Okay, great. So when we look at the OCD cycle from kind of a more downstream approach, and what I mean by that is what we see is the outcome of, I have this intrusive thought, and that gives me this sense of meaning, right, uh, attached. Like, let's use the example of, um, what if I hit somebody with my car, Okay. And so the intrusive thought has that meaning. If you hit somebody with a car, that means you just, you could have killed somebody. If, if Even if you didn't, that's like a terrible occurrence to happen, right? You know, so you apply this in meaning and it brings about an amount of distress. And this is where the OCD sufferer, right? And so often that distress is going to look like anxiety. Uh, often there's going to be discomfort. Sometimes there might even be disgust. Uh, there could be shame. And it all comes from this meaning that if, if possibly the, this thought is true, and I have this thought because I could do it or I might do it, I might secretly want to do it, maybe I didn't and forgot about it, you have all this distress. And so what comes in place, and it usually comes about very organically and very naturally for folks, is when they have that amount of distress, they want to A, calm that ish down. I'll, I'll edit in case, because I don't know how we feel about the cursey words, Jenna, but sometimes I, I, I get there, but <laughs> we want to calm that ish no, down. You can okay. And then also there is this, but I, if I could have hit a person, what should I do? So you might have some behavioral responses where you look behind you you slow down. Uh, maybe you're, you're hypervigilant looking for a sign of police, obviously that are going to come because you must have just had this hit and run and you're a monster and why are you still driving? And oh my gosh, it can be so many different things. You can mentally replay the whole scene in your head. Oh, what just happened? Uh, and, and 
There can be a number of different what we would classify as compulsions, or I sometimes call safety behaviors within that OCD cycle. Now that might bring some relief if I check back and there's no dead person or even like slightly injured. It was just a flesh wound. <laughs> uh, you know, if I look back and see that that part that didn't happen, I might feel a little bit of relief. But the whole crux on OCD is that that relief, if if relief at all, is very, very temporary. And then that intrusive thought tends to come back. And so we learn from looking at an exposure and response prevention model, we look at how the function of engaging in those different compulsions uh, really reinforce the stickiness of that intrusive unwanted thought in the brain. And so by proxy of doing all those things, uh, even if it doesn't bring relief, and for some folks it won't, or even if it seems irrational, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard, like it's, it's the thorn in folks side where they're like, but I know rationally that there can't be a connection and yet my brain won't stop. And, and why? Because our brains are going to brain, y'all. They're, they're going to make the connections that they are. But we can learn different responses. And so in the same way that the OCD sufferer may engage in those compulsions or may engage in those safety behaviors or certain thought rituals or even maybe avoidance. You know what? If I think I'm hitting people with cars, maybe I'll just stop driving because obviously that's a liability is especially if it's coming up at a, again and again. We're not we're not a fan of bowling for people. So you know what? I'll just stop driving altogether. And so in terms of the compulsion, this is also the same thing that can come up when we talk about this concept of family accommodation. So often people can't meet their or they can't meet their compulsive responses in a vacuum. They need to rely and lean in to the environment helping reinforce that, right? So an example of that would be, let's say I work two miles down the street, but I'm not going to drive anymore because again, don't want to go bowling for people. And I'm pretty much afraid maybe I've already done that or could do that. And so I might ask my partner, uh, I might ask my mom, I might ask a coworker, can I carpool with you? Can you take me to work? Um, I might even ask my boss, you know what, like do some remote work and I could just work from home. Maybe I could just work from home. And you could see how any of the people in this scenario could, could consider and weigh this completely outside of mental health. But their response of, sure, I'll, I'll give you a ride down this time. Uh, and starting kind of that, uh, that aid is actually helping reinforce the fact of, you know what, I don't have to drive. And it also sometimes can implicitly send this message, even though this isn't the intent of the loved one, this isn't the intent of the sufferer, but it can sometimes reinforce this implicit message of, you know what, and you're not capable of it, you probably shouldn't be driving. So you're right, I do need to uh, make sure that you have a ride. If you think about this from a parent to a child perspective, we have to, as parents, I have three kids, we have to choose our battles sometimes, right? So if we're 
needing to get out the door. We're needing to go do something. And our kid is just going to have the biggest meltdown if I don't just do it for them, whether it's open a door handle to get out of the house or um, to, you know, give them a little bit of a, yes, you did everything you need to do. Yes. You unplugged your curling iron or your hot iron or whatever. Yes. We need to go. Is it worth the battle of the meltdown? Oftentimes, and especially in the beginning, no, right? Like you got to choose your battles. You're like, I don't want to fight about the damn iron every day. So I'm just going to unplug it or I'll go check now. They're not even checking, although they probably have. You're now checking as well as parent. Like, yes, yes, it's unlocked. Here's a picture of it and soon it becomes if I don't have all those responses even from you my loved one we can't get out the door and I'm sure there's people sitting here listening going yep that happened today yes it did and yesterday and last week and so a lot of people come by it honestly they're choosing their battles um, within partner relationships and marriages this can be challenging because especially in this day and age uh, you know I can tell you if it was my husband saying you need to make sure you do this before you go each time I'd be like oh excuse me right like you can do some of that work yourself and so you don't necessarily even have the relationship where you're more of an authoritative voice like you would in like a parent-child relationship uh where you're providing the scaffolding and 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 really responsible for the environment overall so when you think about that in the context of a dating relationship too that can add in a lot of distress because now this person really needs you to have this response uh and and you're like okay well for the ease of me wanting to be around you anymore because you're driving me nuts fine I'll just say it like we so easily can get into those traps but what we find when we zoom out is oh my that's actually just like the person compulsing themselves Right. Because they're getting the same objective. They're getting the same uh, aim to try and minimize, neutralize or avoid the distress that was connected to this intrusive thought. So that that's looking at it from the ERP perspective. And before I jump into ICBT, because I got I got real long winded there, Jenna, it's a special skill of mine. Uh, but any questions on that before I jump at how I look at this and approach this from an ICBT perspective? No. So everything, I mean, if I could just boil it down, it seems like it would be, which I totally agree with, right? Like there are all these sneaky ways that our loved ones are going to try to engage in these compulsions. It's going to temporarily make them feel better, but it's just going to reinforce everything. And as well-intentioned as we might be to go and just tell them, you know what, I'll drive today or I'll check that for you, you know, or, or even something more subtle, like telling them that they don't have to, or, you know, waiting around for them. There are so many different ways that you can, you know, kind of compulsively engage with this person again, with the best of intentions. But, um, as long as you are doing that, you're still giving the same effect of having had that person just do the compulsion themselves. You're still giving credibility to that initial obsession. So these ways in which we are with all good intentions, trying to, uh, kind of help our loved ones, you know, feel better, it can often be very accommodating, which just serves to make the OCD cycle stronger. So yes, let's now talk about the ICBT um, kind of conceptualization of all this. 
If any of this is resonating with you right now, then you need to check out the OCD and Anxiety Recovery Blueprint. The OCD and Anxiety Recovery Blueprint is my no-holds-barred, real-talk, three-part course for action takers who want to gain control over their OCD and anxiety and take their freaking life back. It is truly recovery like you've never seen before. I made this OCD and anxiety recovery blueprint because I was sick of the same old vanilla recycled mental health content on social media, on the internet, and I wanted to raise the bar. I wanted to create a world where people could recover for good with or without a therapist. So the OCD and anxiety recovery blueprint, you could get it all together. It's over 100 videos, over 35 hours of content, but you could also get one of its three courses. So we have the foundation, which is level one. This is where you will lay the groundwork for your recovery journey and truly step into your therapist role and realize ultimately how simple all of this can be when you commit to the process. Then level two, we have the transformation. This is where you would learn how to prevent rituals, including mental compulsions, dismantling all those other compulsions that really, really trouble you. You will come to understand that behaviors and mental compulsions are yours to control and never the other way around. Then we have the end game. This is where you will bulletproof your recovery no matter what exposures or challenges cross your path. I want you to take your life back into your own hands so OCD has nothing against you. If you want to learn more about the OCD and Anxiety Recovery Blueprint, just go to www.jennaoverbottlpc.com slash blueprint or head to the link in my show notes. I don't do vanilla. I don't do what's your subtype. I rip open the freaking curtains and take you into the inner workings of my mind and education so you can know this as well as I do. So again, to learn more about the blueprint, go to www.jennaoverbottlpc.com slash blueprint or head to the show notes and click the link below. Yeah. So ICBT, and for any of your listeners that are not as familiar with inference-based CBT, it's a very dense model and it's hard to kind of truncate down. But what I am going to try and do is kind of give a snapshot of what this looks like uh, as we learn more about the function of OCD from this model and then how that can affect and plays into the family relationships. So within ICBT, And I like to kind of give this imagery of imagine an elephant. If we are looking at the elephant head on, and of course, you and I, we, and I'm sure most of the listeners have context, even if we haven't seen one in real life, what an elephant looks like. If we look at it from the head on, it's going to look one way completely. If we're to be on the complete backside of the elephant, it's going to look different. And again, because we have context for what an elephant looks like, we're both going to be like, it's still a mammal, right? (laughs) It's still the same animal, even. Uh, It's the elephant in the room. I like to joke when I when I do trainings, um, because often mental health can feel like that elephant in the room that no one's talking about, or not understanding. But it's still an elephant. But this way of looking at OCD is is also very, very different. And so what it says is that the problem isn't so much intrusive thoughts where we do all get intrusive thoughts. And yes, if that intrusive thought were to stick and we were to apply meaning to that, that would be uh, very distressing. And so there's no disagreement with looking at kind of that downstream ERP approach uh, and, and conceptualizing how to how to really facilitate treatment to create new learning in the brain. 
But what ICBT does say is, you know, in a similar way, we have some kind of trigger. Maybe the trigger is uh, driving to school, driving to work. We'll go back to our car example, right? And what happens next is pretty key. It's not so much about getting an intrusive thought, but it's that we have this story, this very absorbing, very real story that feels very possible. And if we were to use our logic as we use it anywhere else in life, it makes sense why the credibility of this story is so distressing and all-encompassing. And so if we are in this imagined story where I could have hit someone with a car. Where is that impacting me? Sometimes it's impacting me before I'm even on the road. I don't even need to be in the car. It's the thought of being in the car. It's the thought of what if I could be a monster? Maybe I could be neglectful. Maybe maybe there was a problem here. And if I infer that conclusion, which is again, an imagined conclusion, because unless I'm like in the ditch, handcuffed, for my irresponsibility, uh, sirens are there, family members have gathered around, <clears throat> pardon me, family members have gathered around, like the local news station is already out, look at this person that just ran over this person with a car, and I'm getting all of that direct feedback going, you know what, yes, I did, I, I did, in fact, hit someone with a car, this is not a good day, this is not good, I, I'm, I'm not, the, yeah. All my worst fears are actually seemingly coming true because I can see that evidence. I can hear it with the sirens. I can uh, I, I can use my common sense and put all those clues together that the dent in my car and the crack in my windshield and the poor person on the ground means, yes, I did hit somebody. But in OCD, <clears throat> pardon me, it's a, an imagined story, right? Because I don't have all that evidence there. I maybe hit a pothole. I maybe just zoned out and just came back too, and I don't know what happened. So it's possible we've read the story. There was one shared on Facebook recently, actually my cousin's daughter's best friend's neighbor. This happened once to this person. It is possible because the, the stakes can feel so dire. It's hard, but it's also 100% and in terms of talking about certainty with OCD, we don't, we tend to veer away from that word, but we can 100% guarantee in that moment that I actually didn't hit a person because there's no body, there's no reaction, there's no evidence. It's just an irrelevant imagined conclusion. And it's not a fun imagined conclusion, right? And so if we get swept away in that sequence, then yes, we're going to apply meaning to what that means that I hit somebody and we're going to have distress and we're going to have the compulsion and check and, and, and have all the anxiety and distress around that. But we like to think about this often, even in this treatment perspective, uh, to that of a magician's trick, right? And so OCD is the biggest con artist, the biggest con man, and is pulling this very, very convincing trick that you might have hit a person and it's and it's terrifying for you. But similar to a magic trick, which have you ever seen a magic show in real life? IRL, <laughs> Jenna? Yes, I have. 
<laughs> yeah, I I have too. I saw David David Copperfield in Vegas, uh, and it was it was fascinating, right? And I went into that show knowing he's a magician, knowing he was doing tricks, and I don't know how he achieved all of that, but. I did go in with this curiosity of like, how is he creating this illusion? Because I knew it was a trick. So similarly, and one that I will use with clients and families is I will say, imagine I have this hat. It's a tall hat, say a top hat, because you know, people love sporting a good top hat. You see it every day, right? <laughs> Maybe not every day, but imagine I have this big hat and, uh, and you look inside and guess what? It's empty nothing in there. Unless we want to get really technical, we can say the air particles, whatever, those are there, but but technically it's empty, right? And so I put down this hat, I wave this wand, I say a few words, and guess what? I pull a full ass live rabbit out of the hat. Now, you and I have probably heard, and most of the people tuning in today have probably heard of this magic trick of a rabbit being pulled out of the hat. Now, are we completely shook though? Are we, because we saw this in that hat, right, Jenna? There was no rabbit. And now there is a full ass live rabbit eating a carrot, doing its thing. Holy cow, right? I don't know about listeners tuning in, but I think most of us, even if we're not sure how the trick is achieved, know that's a trick, right? And so usually there is, you know, maybe there's a table with a nice little uh, floor length cloth over it and a trapdoor in it where you could pull out the, the rabbit. Depending on the size of the rabbit, just depending on the depth of the hat, I suppose you might even have some kind of trap within the hat. But we know it's a trick, right? And once we're onto the trick, there's nothing else for our brains to do to make that okay, to resolve it, because we know that trick. We know this is magic, right? And so ICBT is very different than ERP because I don't need to go to 10 magic shows and watch a magician pull things out of a hat, saw folks supposedly in half, make a card appear that was chewed up or ripped up or lit on fire, and now it's under this person's book. I don't need to expose myself to a hierarchy of these different tricks to know that's a trick. It's interesting. I might be tricked a little bit because I'm still going to have an OCD brain if I have OCD. I might still get caught up in the trick every now and then. But once I catch wind, oh my gosh, this was a trick, then I get it. And I don't even have to do exposures to that because I don't have to convince myself that maybe the trick is there. Maybe it's not. Maybe the rabbit's there. Maybe it's not. Instead, I can go, oh, that asshole OCD. I get that's a trick. And so for the sufferer, that's huge. But for the family member around the treatment, it it's very, very different because then when we start thinking of accommodation, it's really breaking down the different homework pieces that come from our modules, from the treatment itself. So learning when am I even going from current reality testing and common sense here and now reality into these obsessional sequences and into the story. I mean, part of the homework is just going, mm, I, I'm in the story. 
and that that in and of itself basic skill but it takes a lot of slowing down the brain and so that's where family members can go or spouses or partners can go okay so this is the homework this week and you're coming and you're already asking and we're not even trying we're not debating with OCD and we're not trying to focus on the compulsions because again we get that's a result of the trick if we figure out the trick we don't worry about all that crap right and so really it starts with okay so let's focus where we're at in this obsessional sequence. Let's see where we stopped kind of the data, the evidence that's happening right now. And we went into an imagined possibility. And then each step of going through those different modules, understanding what it takes to create an obsessional story that is so absorbing, imagining why is it these stories that bother me? This always kind of bugged me once I learned about my own OCD even. I was like, you know, it's random intrusive thoughts. But you'll hear almost everyone say it hits me where I value things the most. And I'm like, how is it batting 300 on randomization? And ICBT says, well, there's a reason because we have this feared possible self. We have this worried, vulnerable self theme where we think, what if I could have been negligent? So if I if I could be a negligent person that didn't notice something, I certainly could have hit somebody on the road. I could have left the flat iron plugged in and caused a house fire. I could have done a great number of things. And it totally makes sense why it's popping up. And so we go through these different modules. And again, the family and the partner work is understanding the modules, not responding to the obsessional story, but really looking for here and now data evidence. And so it's really, really interesting because when I look at treatment, even as a person who does treatment, but also as a parent where my son has done treatment and I've helped facilitate his homework, the ERP perspective, and it does work, and it can be really, really helpful for super concrete brains, and and which is perfect for younger children, especially, right, uh, just because of where they're at in their development. But the family accommodation learning feels so, so hard, and that's just me saying from personal experience as well as client feedback. Because it feels like the way I've learned to love my child, my partner, our relationship, OCD, we know often can live for 14 to 17 years from the onset of symptoms until it's discovered. And so our whole relationship with this person, our spouse, our partner, our child, our adult parent, they may have had OCD and now I feel like I don't even know how to relate to them because everything I say, I feel like I'm worried it's going to be reassurance. I, I, I'm worried I'm participating and making the OCD worse or keeping it around. And that's not the intention, but I think it's a grieving process that a lot of people go through when learning about family accommodation in the first place. And so I've also appreciated ICBT as another lens because really, as you learn about it, you're like, ah, it does kind of make common sense. And I realize now that I, without thinking, without the sensory data to back up the claims that OCD saying maybe hit that person, uh, I'm I'm realizing I was in this story. And even more, I can create a million different stories, distressing or great. It doesn't make any one of them true until I have that evidence in the here and now. And so you get 
to the point where you practice and understand how you get in and how you can get back out of that story, how you can learn to trust yourself again, and how you can learn to trust your loved ones again. And so for families, when your family member is going through ICBT, I feel like it's less dramatic overall in terms of some of the shifts and postures that we take in treatment, but it's really understanding and it creates this deeper trust for the person, for themselves, but also in their relationship with you. And I find that to be a, a beautiful outcome that can come from it as well. So those are the two main approaches I look at when I think about family members and how they can support, but I think family members are super important in both settings and both settings, we have research to show both settings work and they have evidence. They're not cures, but they work. And so just being armed with tools where you're like, I, I'm doing something that I know is of value that is going towards what we want our life to be, which isn't all about OCD. It's about the weddings. It's about grandbabies. It's about, uh, you know, those connection moments, being able to go to the park, not because we had to do all these rituals, being able to go buy fun, fancy soap, and, and it's not gone in a day. It's just the nice soap that we put in the guest bathroom for the guests that come over, you know, it, and, and just simple things in life like that. I mean, it, it's really, really freeing. And so my message ultimately would be, irregardless of which way you're looking at this animal, fam, there's so much hope and it can be different you may be coming to this especially getting sent a resource like this in the middle of like the meltdown the triage the wreckage and so honor that take a deep breath you have survived to this point and you're going to not only survive from here on out but you and your family your loved one you can thrive there is hope available and so that's how i would address it then from the ICBT perspective as well. I love that. So as we wrap up, just so much good information here, especially from both sides. What would you say is like the one next action move that a family member out there who's listening or a loved one out there who's listening, what's like one or two next steps for these individuals as they try to learn more about OCD and anxiety, as they try to get a handle on their own behaviors, one or two action steps for these people? Yes, great question. So the first action step, would be to learn, to, to dive into some learning. If you want to learn more about ERP, if you want to learn more about ICBT, there's a number of great resources. If you're already here listening to Jenna, then you're probably aware of the amazing tools and resources she has available as well. But the first thing would be learn. And I wouldn't make it about the, I'm going to learn from you, case study family member. Uh, you are, you're, you're fully aware of what's going on there in terms of the current dynamic. So just try to ease yourself into learning, whether it's going to IOCDF and getting more resource, resources, that's the International OCD Foundation or ICBT.online. And both of those websites, as well as like Psychology Today, uh, we'll have search engines or lists where you can find providers all over the world, not just here in the U.S., but all over the world. So that's one piece, the learning piece, because that can make such a profound difference. But the second piece, 
I'm going to say is maybe even more important. Take a breath. Take a breath. And figure out what you need in this moment. There, there's a good chance that you've been putting a lot of your own needs on hold because you are so worried about your loved one. And so I want to say thank you for loving your loved one. They are so lucky to have somebody that truly cares and is truly rooting for them. And you also matter. So you're not going to be around to root if you don't have a chance to recharge. So take a breath. Do a needs assessment for yourself. What do I need? Maybe I just need a night off from all this. And I haven't, I haven't gone out because it's so much uh, and and the flip out and the meltdowns. Um, If you need a night off, get that figured out. Go have a night off. Even if meltdowns are going to happen, because meltdowns are going to happen in life, right? But we we can't be there for other people if we can't be there for ourselves. And you matter. So take some time for yourself. I even will say sometimes for the family as a whole, or maybe the dating couple or the roommates or the marriage as a whole. And I don't know if you had this experience, Jenna, but I remember when I was getting married, Everything was vendor appointments. Everything was schedules. And then this is due and that deposit and that and corner. And we have to look at swatches. And now we're doing a fitting and we're doing this. And you get so zoomed into all the, this has to happen. This has to happen. And this has to happen. That you lose some of the joy and connection of why you're doing all this shit in the first place, right? Like you're like, I'm doing this because I love this person. But now I like want nothing more than to have nothing to do with this process for even a day. Well, then take a day. I will say to folks, you know what? OCD has been so clouding the room and crowding it as well that you guys haven't just been able to have a moment. So to the degree that you can, maybe it's playing a game of cards or Candyland or streaming a guilty pleasure show or watching a comedy special. Maybe it's going out and getting ice cream. Maybe it can be anything, but give yourself a date time to say like, you know what? OCD is not invited to this event because we are going to bravo and chill or we're going to do this and OCD is just gonna have to stay put here for a minute because we're gonna have some value-driven connection here and so even giving yourself some time and if you're like man we wouldn't make it very long well make it as long as you can you might be surprised when you give yourself permission to have that half hour or that hour or that evening or that night away how much that can do for not only you, but if you can do that even in your family or your marriage relationship, partnership, it's it's so powerful to be like, oh yeah, this is why we fight for each other. This is why we take the time to invest in you and why I need to take the time to invest in me because these relationships are so good and they matter. And so just having a break, OCD will be there when you come back. <laughs> Trust me, y'all. But just giving yourself that mental break and going, you know what, though, we're going to bravo and chill. That's what we're going to do. 
and and take that time. So getting some information, but even more importantly, taking care of yourself, give yourself some grace. If you're like, oh my gosh, I think I totally accommodated my my partner earlier. Oh, well, sounds like you're human. Move on. There'll be another chance. Okay. And there'll be another chance to practice it. It's not, we're not striving for perfection. That doesn't even exist. We're striving for learning in those little shifts. We don't have to have 180 degree change. One degree difference, you follow out a one degree dif- <laughs> one degree difference. It doesn't look like much in the beginning, but you follow that out and it will forever be a different path. Just even that one degree shift. So give yourself grace, have a night off, have an afternoon off, have a breakfast off whenever it works for you and really invest in what you need. Then you will have a lot more space, a lot more mental real estate and a lot more ability to take in and learn more about what's happening in OCD. Such good advice there. I love that you mentioned values-driven connection. I think that's something that we all could use a little bit more of, especially when there's such a sense of urgency and desperation with OCD. So um, as we wrap up here, Nicole, I would love for you to throw out um, where people can listen to the OCD Family Podcast, learn more about it, learn more about you, um, and any other resources that you'd like to share. Sure. So you can find me over at ocdfamilypodcast.com and I have I have the I have some links to where you can listen, but really you can listen wherever you enjoy your podcast or YouTube. Uh, we do audio only, but we do, if you love yourself a little infographic and a couple little sound waves, maybe some catch-ins, you can catch us on YouTube. Also, over the summer, I started this past summer doing a summer series, which includes some animated Lego shorts, because my oldest son, talk about value-driven connection, loves himself some Legos, so we built a lot of different Legos to help kind of demonstrate some of these concepts and they're much shorter episodes. So I have different guests on every Friday. I am releasing new episodes. Jenna has graciously, as she mentioned in the beginning, she was one of my guests last year and I I have a range of folks. Sometimes I have researchers, sometimes I have clinicians, sometimes I have lived experience warriors, sometimes I have the family member of the lived experience warrior. And so uh, it's been it's been really fun and you can just find us wherever you enjoy listening to your podcast so if you like a visual element and need a little more of a drive-through quicker explanation of things you can also check out the water cooler chats which is my summer series also through OCD family podcast so you can listen to the audio of that as well but if you do go over to YouTube you'll see the animated versions of those shorter episodes and of course always 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 going to refer to my fellow colleagues here, Jenna. Uh, there's a number of folks doing really great podcasts and video streaming, and and there's a number of great books out there too. So checking out iocdf.org and icbt.online are great resources as well. So 
you know, you can find me there, but know whether you come and listen or not, we are rooting for you and you, you are not alone. So thank you so much for giving me the time to come in today, Jenna, and share a little bit more about my passion for the family. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. I hope that this was helpful. I will, for all of you out there listening, post some links that Nicole mentioned in the show notes, but um, until next week, guys, my name is Jenna Overbaugh and I will see you next week with another episode. Until then, keep doing all the hard things. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. It would mean the world to me if you would take a quick minute to please give it a review. And while you're at it, check out my website at www.jennaoverbaughlpc.com to sign up for my free email newsletter that includes an instant free downloadable PDF to help jumpstart your OCD and anxiety recovery journey. You can also find me on Instagram or TikTok at jenna.overbaugh. If you liked what you listened to here, you can download some of my workshops and courses on OCD, anxiety, and treatment at my website as well. Thank you so much again for tuning in and until next time, keep doing all the hard things.